Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. One day in London, literally within the space of two hours, I was told I was too tall, too short, too fat, and too skinny by four different clients. And I just called mum in tears and I was like, I don't know what I am. I was like, do I grow? Do I shrink? Do I eat more? Do I eat less? I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, just be you. Don't listen to them. That is Sage Greenwood. And this is episode 197 of the Osher Ginsburg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. Thank you so, so much for being here. If you're new, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is episode 197 of the show featuring the managing director of Wink Models, Sage Greenwood. It's a, a brilliant story of a transitioning from a life on camera to a very successful life off camera. I, I know you're going to love it. Big week this week. There is a podcasting conference on in Sydney, OzPod, O-Z-P-O-D, or O-Z-P-O-D. Um, if you're at the show, come say hi. I'm hosting the show. I'm hosting the podcasting conference. That means I'm just getting up in between people far more successful and famous than I than going, and here's Charlie Clawson. Um, even though I'm, yeah, there's a surprise there. But yeah, if you are at the podcast conference, please do come and say good day. Uh, it would be lovely, lovely to see you. Thank you so much. I've got to say straight up, thank you for all the brilliant pictures you've been sending me. Uh, send Osher email at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. It's uh, a podsie, P-O-D-S-I-E. It's a picture that you sent that looks at what you're looking at when you're listening to this. So whip out your phone, open the camera up, shoot a shot of whatever it is you're looking at while you're listening to this. And email it to me, sendoshiremail at gmail.com. I got some beautiful pictures this week, uh, a glorious photo of a, a little bubba uh, all snuggled up in a snuggly, snuzzle, kind of wrap-up, kind of silence of the lamb suit that you put little babies in. It's fine to put babies in it. Adults, not so much, but babies, yeah. Because um, uh, mum was up breastfeeding late at night and was listening to the show. 
gorgeous, uh, fantastic shots from people trekking across New Zealand, uh, beautiful, beautiful photos from hiking trails. Also, you know, the the best vacuuming photos ever. Um, many a clean rug in Australia brought to you by this show this week. Makes me very, very happy that I can help you and be a part of the domestic duties that you and I and we all have to perform to keep our houses from descending into disgustingness. Uh, send your email at gmail.com. You can also just email me if you want to know anything. Because, um, yeah, I, I pretty much I read all the emails. I try to write back to all of them. I'm absolutely loving uh, Bachelor at the moment. If you don't know, I also happen to do some rose counting on the on the side. I work on a show called The Bachelor in Australia, which is the same as The Bachelor wherever you happen to be. And it's a lot of fun. Twitter's really, really great. Having a ball. Um, absolutely loving the the meta exploration of The Bachelor uh, memes about memes about memes and uh, just the the the, the ever self referential cutting and pasting of of what's going on the guys at punky p-u-n-k-e-e do a fantastic job of recapping the show every week and it just uh, i i really really dig it and uh, i'm not gonna lie you know when when we make the show we kind of i certainly i deliberately put um slightly more exaggerated things in here and there um because it's kind of fun <laughs> uh to get those things in sometimes i make it through the edit a few made it this week i won't tell you what they are but um, a couple made it through this week. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I'm really grateful that so many people are enjoying it. Um, we're getting some cracking numbers, and um, I certainly hope hope you're digging it. But, yeah, if you're not into The Bachelor, I'd recommend going to the It's Punky website. Um, you can find them on Facebook and, and look at their recaps of the show, and that'll probably get you up to speed. Um, it's, been a, it's been a good week. I'm trying to be as physical as I poss- possibly can be. The physicality, the exercise is helping my head more than so many, many other things combined. Um, trying to do something physical every day and until unless I go super hard and then uh, have a rest day. But I'm swimming again with Gigi, which is really good. We go to the pool once or twice a week, which I'm really loving. It's great to be... Uh, Great to be there. Of course, I'm terrified of going to a swimming pool. Someone who's, you know, got a massive amount of body shame and possibly body dysmorphia and all kinds of wildness. Uh, you know, I, f- I feel really fucking frightened getting, you know, taking my shirt off on a pool deck. But, you know, I'm there for Georgia and uh, she and I do laps. She's a great coach. Uh, she talks to me about where my elbows are when I come up to breathe and all kinds of stuff. So it's a lot of fun. It's a really beautiful thing to do with her. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really loving it. As confronting as it is, um, it's that old feel of fear and do it anyway. Just fucking go. Just go and do it, and um, it'll be, it'll be fine. Working with my um, uh, psychiatrist this week, trying to get a little lower on my meds. Um, if you're a long time listener to this show, you'll know that part of the life on meds, which is great, much greater than life off of meds, in my experience. Part of life on meds is dealing with the side effects of meds. And for me, one of those side effects is weight gain, which rewinds to the part where I'm frightened about taking my shirt off and watching The Bachelor the other night standing next to my super fit Maddie J and I'm in a T-shirt and my love handles are wider than my shoulders. It's fucking horrible. Anyway, so I'm um, trying, working with my psychiatrist to, to get those meds down uh, to where, you know, the the... Try, trying to get them down, 
trying to trying to decrease the side effects as much as possible while maintaining the benefits of what they do for my head, which is a little tri- tr- tricky, a little difficult to to come down, especially when your brain's ex- expecting that you know burst of of help to get all the neurotransmitters to fire in the right order. Um, it's difficult to transition. It takes about two or three weeks for everything to kind of settle down. I'm in the middle of it right now. It's difficult to be aware as to what things are legitimately annoying and what things I should legitimately get upset at versus what's me just being irritable and reading the situation wrong. So I'm kind of doubling down on my breathing exercises and trying to be really aware, listening to my body as much as possible when I feel flooded, when something is really confronting and I, and I, and I feel that, you know, the blood rush to my head. Just don't just don't say anything. I think that's a trick. Just don't say anything. I've been uh, doing my little breath holding exercise that I got taught years ago. It's a little relaxation exercise that I do. Just been doing that uh, quite a bit. But that helps. You know, it helps to be just aware of of what's going on. Um, I also try to do a lot of reorienting, just looking around the room, noticing things around the room, just trying to get back into the space. Um, I try to. Like if you didn't know that, if I hadn't told you that, you wouldn't really notice that I was doing it. But if you were to spend some time with me, you'd notice every now and then, then I do hold my breath and every now and then I do kind of take a little extra time to look around the room. Well, that's all I'm doing. I'm just, you know, feeling my feet and my shoes, getting back into the room, remembering what is actually going on right now, not, you know, hey, Frank, not worrying about, you know, what might happen if, what might happen if, what might happen if, what happens if, and then reacting to that. So, yeah. That's what's going on. Um, I wanted to say a massive thanks to everybody this week who supports the show on Patreon. P a t r e o n dot com slash osher is my uh, site. There, you can go and pledge some money and help me pay my audio producer and my production coordinator. Both of these human beings, I could not make this show without Andy and Haley. Love you both, uh, but I love as well the people that help me pay you. Uh, so Maddie and Natalia and Karen and Tim, thank you. Eileen and Phil and Jethro and Connie, thank you. Kate and Nick and Renee and Kao, Tamina, Karen and Chris, thank you. Megan, Jason, Kira, Georgie, Lauren, Dan, Joanne, Belinda, Nick and Barbara, David, Annabelle, Branca, Jacinda and Sarah. Oh, yeah. And Julianne and Dean, you're awesome. Also... Sharon, your heap's good. Um, thanks to everybody. There's a couple of hundred other names, but um, I won't say all of them at the moment. But thank you all. You know who you are. Thank you all so, so, so much for supporting the show and uh, helping me get the show out each and every week because I wouldn't be able to do it without you. Uh, so once again, if you're at the OzPod conference, come and say good day. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll try and tweet and Instagram as much as I can from the day to um, share what's going on in the day because ultimately uh, – you were a podcast listener and you are helping us create this world together. So we can't do it without you and you as a listener and me as someone who makes a podcast and Andy and Haley as people who help creating podcasts and all the other people who make podcasts in Australia, we're all in a tiny little boat together. We're all in the same boat and we're all sailing against the wind in heavy seas as, as we push our little independent digital broadcasting vessel into the world. And, um, we're all here to help each other out. So I'm really stoked about the conference this week, next, this Friday the 8th it is. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. Oh, so my guest today, let me tell you about her. Sage Greenwood is the Managing Director of Wink Models, uh, which is actually one of Australia's biggest commercial and editorial modelling agencies. 
in Australia. Now, Sage has a very interesting story, which I can't fa- I can't wait for you to hear. Now, part of Sage's story, you, you've probably heard a version of it before, uh, especially when it comes to the behaviour of models living in a cramped accommodation in Milan, starving themselves for Fashion Week. Not Sage, I must point that out, but you'll hear her tell the tale. So you've heard that part before. What you haven't heard is the one about the model with a double degree who goes on to pitch her dream gig at a CEO and then finds her own career path in a life after modelling, a path that she created. It's an inspiring story of creating your own luck, the value of connections, hard work, persistence and professionalism. Hold on, because Sage is a bundle of infectious energy and enthusiasm. I hope it rubs off on you because it certainly rubbed off on me. Enjoy this conversation with Sage Greenwood. How are you, Sage? Yeah, good. How are you? Great. Welcome. Welcome Thank you for having me. Well, I'm grateful you could come. Welcome to beautiful Bronte. Thanks for my present. You're welcome. You've given me uh, some super lovely turmeric chocolate, which is from your uh, your other company. Yes. Um, Yeah. Golden Grinds. That's it. Yeah. All things turmeric. Why turmeric? So it's a bit of a passion, started off as a bit of a passion project with my sister and her husband. Um, my sister at the time, we started about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, she owned a cafe up in the Danong Ranges in Melbourne, just on the outskirts of Melbourne. So it's a bit of a hippie area. Um, our mum's a bit of a hippie. So growing up, we were sort of had all different alternative medicines and uh-huh. we ate from the backyard and did all the cool stuff that I appreciate now at the time, not so much when I was going to school. Um, but yeah, came across it and sort of looked into it a bit more. We started drinking it all for our different reasons. Um, I worked in the modeling industry at the time, so I cared about sort of the way I looked and being yeah. healthy from the inside out. She's a qualified food scientist, so she looked at it from a science perspective. She, your sister? My sister, oh, yeah. yeah. And her husband was a sportsman, so he looked at it from like a recovery uh-huh. anti-inflammation perspective. So we all started taking turmeric. We're like, this stuff is awesome. Um, so I can eat chocolate as part of my training. And Definitely, get, yeah, boom. as your recovery. Skip your important. protein shake. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no disclaimer. <laughs> but, uh, but you, I'm grateful you're here today because you, you've, you've lived an extraordinary life and it's very pertinent to me right now because I have a, uh, and I've just shown you a photograph of her, I have a 13-year-old stepdaughter who was 10 when I met her and came up to my elbow and now she's 13 and she's, a, in Ugg boots, she's taller than me. The yeah. high-heeled Ugg boots? Or like no, 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 oh, okay. regular. She only needs like the heel of an Ugg boot and okay. she's taller than me. Wow. Yeah, she's a stunning young woman. And, Shut up. Uh, she asked the most beautiful question the other about a year and a half ago. She goes, what university degree do you need to do to become a model? Bless. <laughs> and I just said, business. Law. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> true. <laughs> yes. Yep, it's true. But you're the GM of Wink. Models. Correct. Also with a business and a law degree. Well, so, yeah, I took dad's advice. I got both. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm really interested in that because uh, as a someone who is a, a, a kind of like a enthusiast, semi-pro photographer for a while, I, I, I kind of dabbled in that world for a little bit after Idol and when I was living in Los Angeles. And so I'm, I'm quite fascinated with how the mechanics of it all works. And I've certainly known many people who have um, – now I'm 43, women who were models and then suddenly were not models 
and what the hell do you do now? Yeah. So I'm really grateful we can talk about this because I'm sure it's a transition that many people are interested in. But you said you did. You grew up in the Dandenongs. Is that where you grew up? Uh, yeah, yeah, for most of my life. So as I said, my, I'm single mom, so parents split when I was young and very alternative sort of way of thinking, very grounded, very down to earth. What's al- what's alternative? Like tinfoil hat, no TV, solar panels alternative? Or? Um, no hat, definitely no microwave ever growing up. Uh-huh. Um, I think we had a TV for about half of the childhood. The other yeah. half, I know, there was a backyard and sticks and stones. Um, and, yeah, we ate out of the backyard and that was it. We sort of – didn't, didn't go to Coles to get – No, there was, like, no white bread to be seen. I think we had milk from the local shop, but that was about it. So, How big was your backyard? Pretty big. We lived on a couple of acres and we're six kids, so we were, like, a bit – So yeah. your mum did it by herself from – how old was the oldest? Uh, she would have been about 14, 13. Yeah. 14 and the youngest? And I was one. When, I'm the youngest. When your parents split. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. So she did the six. And there was always sort of drop-ins. The older kids always had friends living with us. And we had this giant house and it was just a... Older kids had friends living with you? Yeah. We would always... Because mum was just the maternal one. So people would just... If things went wrong with their homes, they would come live with us. And yeah, it came a bit of a drop-in house when mum was the mother hen. Now, obviously, as you're a kid, you don't know that anything's different. From When did you first realise, A, not everyone has five brothers and sisters... <laughs> And I was like, this is awesome. I've got like such a tribe, like a little yeah. gang. And I was the little annoying one who just wanted to be like all the older ones. And they're like, oh, why you're so annoying. <laughs> How old were you when you realized that your life was a little different? Um, Probably like early high school. Really? That long? Yeah. I went to a, um, like a, just a pretty normal primary school. And then high school, I got a scholarship to like a pretty prim and proper girls school in Melbourne. And I think that was when I was like, Oh, my world's really different to your world. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you guys are like two kids, fancy big house, shiny cars. I was like, oh, I live like an hour and a half away on like this weird kind of farm thing and <laughs> there's loads of kids and we drive this little bomb. And, um, but you yeah. know how to seed a cucumber. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can like cook wet kale ten different ways. <laughs> it's a life skill. Right. <laughs> Which I'm now really grateful for. At the time I was like, oh, my life's kind of weird and crazy and why do we eat weird things and why don't I just get like a normal ham sandwich? And mum would reel off the ten reasons why we don't have processed meat and white bread. And I was like, okay, I see your point. <laughs> so was the, did people point and laugh at your lunchbox? Um, no, not necessarily. I think it was probably me more so that just felt like why is mine so different? Yeah. I think the others were pretty good. Like I went to school with an awesome group of girls who I'm still friends with to this day, so they were all pretty good. And they're like, yeah, who, like, who cares really? Were um, you worried when you first invited them over? It took a while, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'd had friends from like where I lived and they were the ones that I sort of hung out with on the weekends, early days, and they got it and they had similar sort of backgrounds and um, they were at Steiner schools and things like that, so they totally got it. Oh, and so you're the straight one. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm the one that's gone to, like, the really, like, weird school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We had to wear a uniform. Yeah, and a blazer and a hat, and I probably got more fun for that back home than I did for my lunchbox at school. Did you commute to school every morning? Yeah, mum drove every day, so about two hours each way. Yeah, Jeepers. She was a legend. Wow. And, wow, so that's 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 a lot of dedication for... For you. Yeah. She was really good. Luckily, my sister, who was sort of at school most of the time with me, the others were a bit older, she went to school next door. Okay. So that worked pretty well for mum. So she would drive us both down and then she would go off and sort of get jobs that she could fit in around school hours and the other kids and pick us up when we were done. So she'd work down in Melbourne? Yep. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so she'd work yeah around us and do bits and bobs. It's interesting. I'm, I'm one of four boys and my biggest brother was 13 when dad left. And yeah. I just, you know, mum had this van because it was young. Yeah, we had a van. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not like now. <laughs> the big blue get, van, yeah. It, like it was <laughs> van or massive Land Rover troop carrier. There was no SUVs <laughs> back then. It, yeah. was, it just wasn't. Yeah, we and had the that, van. That was the only way you could get around with that many that many kids. And yeah. it was kind of interesting, you know, seeing that, you know, I'd go around to friends' places and their mums would just hang out all day. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> What do you mean? Like, mum's work, mum works like overnight shifts, three nights a week, <laughs> yeah. as well as a day shift. Yeah, same thing. Mum had like four jobs that she would like here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, and um, yeah, we had the van. I remember one time one of my brothers, I don't know, was playing or being stupid or cracked the shits and ripped the door off the van. And mum was like, "Fine, you have to sit in the door near the the seat near the edge, and there's no door now, so that's your fault." And I reckon for like a good month, we got around without a door and he just learned his lesson of sitting in the cold <laughs> and he would cop the rain if it came in. <laughs> she wow. was like, well, that's what you get. <laughs> and that was the kind of discipline. I mean, we've got six kids. It's hard to discipline everybody. Yeah. It was a lot of like learn the life lesson and move on. I think we were all forced to grow up pretty quickly. Right. So it was more just, just consequences rather than any other kind of punishment. Yeah. It was more like you learned, yeah, learn from your lesson. You like cop whatever you did and we were all quite like I was 11 when I got bigger than my mum my mum was a small smaller woman so she had no physical authority over me from before my voice broke yeah but all she'd had to do was give me a look of like see now I'm disappointed in you yeah crush me <laughs> yeah mine was the same because yeah we're one girl three boys two girls wow so yeah I call us the dysfunctional Brady Bunch yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, the same thing. The boys were all a lot bigger than mum, but she just had this authority and everyone knew it. Like if she sort of said it's dinner time, like click her fingers, yeah. we're all there. We had this giant big dinner table and that was the one thing we always did. We all sat down as a family for dinner every night. When So you've got this life where your your diet is very different to other people's. When you first slept over yeah. and, you know, someone else's mum pulls a bottle of Coke out of the fridge it's like Christmas. I was like, this stuff is so delicious. <laughs> and I'd go home and mum's little heart would break and she's like, no. <laughs> like, I spent so long trying to avoid like refined sugar from your diet. And I was like, and I had lollies and I had cake and I had Coke. And she's like, did you sleep? I was like, not a wink. <laughs> she's like, great. <laughs> now I'll deal with you. Come down for the next week from all the sugar that you've just had. But um, yeah, I thought it was Christmas. I was like, this is yeah, awesome. Yeah, sugar. When you haven't been used to that kind of sugar yeah. and you go to someone's birthday party <laughs> and it's just heaps of cordial, cordial and lolly bags and stuff, Yeah, it's amazing mm. until about 8 o'clock that night. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I feel so sick. And that was like, I guess, comes back to the discipline. She's like, see, you feel sick because you ate the stuff. So she would, like, teach the lessons and I was yeah. like, oh, so it was that that, like, made me sick. Okay, right. well, next time I won't drink so much of that. I'll have, like, a little bit. <laughs> Audrey, my wife was the same. Her mum's a um, nutritionist. Uh, yeah. Nutritionist? No, clinical dietitian, the one that you actually have to get a degree for. Yeah. The one you have to get a uniform. Yeah. Uh, so she was a clinical dietitian and it would deal with, uh, like, people with uh, diabetes and um, sort of people who are, you know, disability areas and, you know, things like that. And so Audrey grew up with with exactly the similar, very similar kind of thing. Yeah. And, and no, no spoiling or, or anything like that, no Coca-Cola, no nothing. It's, it's funny, actually. She she can say this because she's PG and she goes, you white people are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the diets. Yeah. My mum would be mortified. And my dad remarried 
um, quite early on and to someone who was very sort of traditional sort of normal household, yeah. very sort of processed cupboards and things like that. And mum would just hate it when we went there because we'd same thing. We'd come home hyper and yeah. I had all this only food and I had magic noodles and all this stuff. And mum's like, Oh, it's not even food. It's like made on a conveyor belt. <laughs> like, <laughs> no nutrition value, but anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy when you, when you, I remember as, you know, as a school excursion, I think when I was in Brisbane, we went to one of those food factories and you see the, like the vats that they, you know, prepare these, you know, they're preparing, preparing 10,000 servings a day of, of something. And mm. as you mentioned, food made on a conveyor belt. Yeah. You might be able to pour boiling water into it and be able to eat. Mm. And it's delicious. <laughs> the salt and the sugar mix, like tell Boom. your brain it's delicious. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like this, this chemically research reaction that happens to convince your brain that you've eaten well. But, mm. you know, then you so why have I got a rash? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Why is my skin a funny colour? Yeah. <laughs> I have no energy. You are. Uh, you tower over me. Uh, how old were you when you were this tall? Uh, I'm just under six foot, five eleven and a half, and uh, probably this height at like like seventeen, eighteen. Right. Yeah. So I've been this tall for, and then before that, you're pretty much this height. So yeah, super tall string bean always. Was that weird? Um. I think at the time, like going through high school is obviously when a lot of people probably noticed that and obviously yeah. you hear all the stories of bullying and, and crazy stuff. I had a little bit in primary school. Um, I was unfortunate. Mum also cut all my hair off like a boy. So I had boy short hair and I was the same size as the boys and I like like playing sport and stuff. So then I didn't have many girlfriends. Um, but through high school, I was pretty lucky. As I said, I went to school with like a really good group of girls and I didn't yeah. really cop anything for being super tall and skinny and Definitely not one of those stories. Why'd you cut your hair? I don't know. Apparently, it was like a fad in the hills at the time. I'm not sure. A fad in the hills. <laughs> I don't know. She thought it was cool. It probably was really trendy, just not on like a ten year old girl who oh, was already man. lanky and awkward. Oh man. So, but you went from being this, this uh, you know, crew cut, lanky, awkward ten year old girl, and 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 what? How did we go from there to? Oh, I'm traveling the world as a model. Who who first went, you know what, Sage, there's something here. This, this photograph looks pretty good. Who was it? So it's the really typical boring story. I was in a shopping center. Um, there was a modeling competition in the middle bit. I don't know. I was pretty oblivious at the time. Um, they stopped mom and were like, who's this crew cut? I think my hair was a bit longer at the time. Um, and entered and won. And that What, you were 10? No, I was 14. Okay. So still pretty young. Um, entered and won and I was like, oh, that was kind of unexpected. And I was like, and that was kind of fun, like um, something a bit different. And then got signed with an agency as part of that. Not the best agency going around, but it was an agency at the time. They got me a little bit of work. I worked with, fun fact, Jan Hawkins back when she had just won Miss Australia. Um, that was my first job. So they flew me, I was in Melbourne at the time, they flew me to Sydney for 10 days. I was like, this is awesome. And I made all this money and I went to school. I was like, I'm rich. <laughs> like, I made like three grand like at the time, which was huge. Um, yeah, when you're 14, $3,000, oh. you may as well put two more zeros on the end. <laughs> I, I was like, guys, I can retire now. I'm done. Yeah. And, yeah, it kind of went from there through, like, a little bit of an organic process. That agent wasn't great, so then I had sort of some bad experiences with them, took a little bit of a step back, um, joined a really good agent, finished school, which was something that was always really important to mum. She always said, yeah. do whatever you want but finish school, um, which I did. And but you were then- still a teenager, and so it's still you're still a, a, a single underage girl in a very adult world. Very much so, is yeah. A, 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 
are those the bad experiences we're talking about? The kind of things that you go. A few things. Yeah. And I was really lucky. I had mum who was awesome and she was there every step of the way. And like I had my agent, for example, I was 15 at the time said, look, you just, as I said, I was a bean pole. And she just said, you're just not getting your hip measurements down, but I've looked into it. You can get surgery that shaves your hip bones. And mum's jaw just dropped in this meeting. And I remember it so vividly. And mum's like, she's 15. Like, I'm not shaving her hip bones to fit into what she's already a size, barely a size six, like to what fit into a size four pair of pants. I was like, no, that's not happening. So and, uh, this surgery, this procedure had obviously been done before. I yeah, obviously didn't go through with it. My hips are still intact, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I've never met anyone who actually had the surgery, Too but many. she was like totally convinced <sighs> that that's what I should do to be a big time model. I was like, I don't think that's it. No. <laughs> so I was really lucky. I had mum and I had such a supportive family. But this, like, this is in a time before Instagram still. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well so, yeah. You know, so the path for modeling was editorials and, and covers and campaigns. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of gradual, the graduation to bigger and bigger contracts. Yeah. And catwalk. I was so tall. So catwalk was the ah, big one for me. Okay. Which came with very strict sizing. Yeah. yeah. So that was that. And then, as I said, sort of that was a bit of a lesson. And mum and I went away and we're like, do we really want to do this? Like, let's have a think. And I, th- I probably took about a year or so off and then got a really good agent. And mm. then from there, finished school. What made you want to get back into it? I loved it still. And I was like, I really like, for some, I was a really shy girl. And I was like, I kind of become this different person. And that's kind of when I have fun and I can be confident and I can do all these crazy things. It's a pretty good vibe backstage at a catwalk. Oh, it's super fun. And the adrenaline. And I was like, and then I can go back to being super shy at school. Um, so it's kind of like my alter ego. So you go to this highfalutin fancy girls school in Melbourne, you got a full ride scholarship and, and you're this model. And yeah. And I started modeling. Did the mean girls come out? No, no, everyone was super nice. I think they loved my stories because I'd miss half a day of school and miss a day of school and come back. They're like, tell me all the goss. Right. (laughs) What did you do? What did you wear? And who did you meet? Wow. Were you in magazines and stuff at the time that they were buying? No, more catwalk stuff and some commercial stuff. But no, I don't think I was, or maybe like a few little dolly girlfriend things. So, but you you missed, you missed the vibe. You missed the the outlet that you got from, from doing the creative side. And I was like, Tell I me really... about the, but a lot of people might not go, what do you mean a creative side? You sit there in a nice pair of pants. Yeah, no, you take on personalities. As I said, I was super shy and I had like sage at home or sage away from work. And then when I was on set, I could be anyone I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is awesome. I get to be these different characters or like I get to be like, not that I was playing mums at the time, but I get to be like this different role. I get to be like this Chinese property investor or I get to be like this fun girl on the beach with my friends. So I loved that element. I was like, this is cool. I get to be different people and I get to dress up and wear fancy clothes mm. and um, do all this really fun stuff that I wouldn't otherwise, as I said, I'd sort of go back to the crazy house and, and have what I thought at the time was this really sort of like boring mundane life and the modeling was this glamorous. Like it was What fun. made you want to stick with school? Because that sounds like a lot of fun and there's a lot of money in it. Mum and dad, the input that he had, they said, absolutely no way you're living. And I said, that's like, I get it. Um, and I knew that I was lucky to be at the school I was at and to be getting the education that I was getting. So I said, look, I, I appreciate that as well. Like that's almost just as good as being ha- or having this modeling opportunity is also having this amazing school that happily took me and gave me this scholarship. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But once school ends, what was, what were your options? I was university the option. Yes. Yeah, so I enrolled in uni, um, I was sort of, I mean, an Aryan, same thing. Parents were like, enroll, you can always defer. 
So I did. I enrolled um, into law and at the time it was law and event management, a double degree, and got in. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I um, started a little bit, hated event management, moved into commerce, a very sort of typical law commerce degree. Did one year and I was like itchy feet. I was like, I want to travel. So then I moved over to Milan and lived there between Milan, Paris, Athens and London for about a year. Now why? Obviously Milan's like this extraordinary fashion hub of, yeah. of the world. Yeah. Uh, there's a few of them around, uh, yeah. but Milan is definitely one of them. Did you have an agent hookup? Did you did you go knowing yeah. that there was work? Yeah. So I had my agency in Melbourne had me booked or hooked up with agencies in London and Milan. So I went over to London first. How the fashion weeks work is it's London Fashion Week and then Milan off the top of my head, or at the time it was. So I went and I did London Fashion Week. So I was there for about three or four weeks and kind of thrown in the deep end. Was it like staying in a flat with 20 girls, that sort of thing? I was really lucky in London. My brother lived there at the time. So I went and lived with him. But then I was there for about a month or two and then I went to Milan and that was Crazy House. And that was when I was like, wow, okay, this is like all the TV shows are, are right. Well, what did you and find the, there? Oh, it was crazy. We were like in these tiny rooms with like four models basically sleeping on top of each other. Two were from like some Eastern European country. They didn't speak English. Um, they crammed all of us into these houses. You and don't then, speak Italian. I don't speak Italian. Yeah. And then I'd have like some Italian girl. I didn't speak Italian. So I'd just like sit there on my own, um, cram us all into these apartments, charge us like amazing amounts to be in these apartments. So we had like rent coming off our What weekly. a racket. Yeah. We, what a racket. We'd pay like... 500 euro like a week. Holy shit. To be in these apartments. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And they would like cram us in there. And I was like, the agency's making so much money. So the agency rents the apartment. Yeah. Says you have to stay in this apartment, but you owe us 500 euros each week. You're in this apartment. Yeah. Which I'm guessing you have to pay them back before they pay you for any model gigs. Yep. They take it like Ah. off your wage. Yeah. So they got it sorted. And they you're got- on the wrong side of the world away from all your family and friends. Where are you going to go, Sage? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've never been to Milan before. Here, put like- this on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's a really frightening thing. Yeah. They chuck you in this house. So you kind of really forced, as I says, lucky that I grew up quickly as a kid anyway, but you're forced to like switch it on. Were you the youngest? No, I was one of the oldest. At 18? I 19, yeah. I had to lie about my age to a lot of clients. Because 19 was over the hill. Get out. No, seriously. Yeah. Seven, 16, 17 is a good age over there. Yeah. And my agent would sit me down and be like, so 19 is like a little bit old. You're going to have to say like for this, this, and this client that you're 17 because they won't book anyone over 17. And all those Polish girls that you're competing with, they're all 16. So See, this totally weirds me out because here we are presenting these women in hypersexualized poses when they're not even of legal yeah. age or, you know, ages of consent in many countries or, and I don't want to judge about them and their upbringings, but probably, uh, uh, yeah, mm. this is weird. It now. was weird. Yeah. And some of like, obviously you hear all the crazy eating disorder stories. And Did you I, see that? It was all around me. And I was lucky that I had the background I had and I was really confident who I was. I was a very active girl. I did heaps of sport. I was like a national high jumper. So I'd always like been active and fit. And that's how I kept my body in check is I would go for a run or I'd go to the gym and eat healthily because that's what I'd grown up doing. Whereas I had girls swallowing tampons because it stops you eating. Apparently I was like, I don't want to think how that comes out of you, but yeah, girl, yeah, like crazy stories. You saw someone do that? I didn't see it go down, but yeah, a girl I lived with did it and I never saw her eat. So <laughs> yeah, crazy dieting Jesus. stories to try and fit into these sample sizes. 
these crazy houses. This was like probably 10 years ago now. That's like that. I've heard some horrible things. Yeah. I've heard some, like I've, I've had a, a, a few people that have, have transitioned from modeling into a life after modeling on this show. And I've, I've heard some pretty awful things as far as what some women have done to keep weight off. But that's about, it's crazy. Hey? That about takes the cat. And these guys are like 17. And I'm like, this is ruining you for like life. Like your stomach's going to be ruined if you ever like want kids or if you ever want a life other than this, your poor stomach has to now somehow learn how to do it. Clearly that. there's, clearly there's an incentive for it. Mm. Yeah. They were uh, booking work and they had the right sizes and measurements and the agency was happy. Whereas I know I had a, I lived with a French girl and she was super lovely and I wouldn't say round by any means. She was probably a size eight rather than a size six. And she went into our agency every day and had to get every part of her body measured to see if it had shrunk. Like wrist, um, shoulder, everything measured every day. And she would just come home in tears every day. And she was like, I just can't lose the weight. I don't know what to do. I was like, because it's your bones. Like you can't lose bones. You can't make your bones any smaller. They are what they are. So. And the. It was brutal. And the pressure was there every single day. Like if you don't drop you yeah. know, this many centimetres. You'll go home. Yeah. You'll go home. Yeah. We don't need you here. It was brutal. Yeah. And it was funny because obviously, as you said, it's like the fashion mecca. So I worked for brands like YSL and Versace and all the super glamorous brands that everyone back home was like, oh my God, you've made it. And I was either working for free because it was sort of. I was doing, like, they were doing me a favor by booking Think me. Think of the tear sheets, darling. Oh, yeah. Or, like, you're walking for Versace. Like, this is, like, your dream come true. Nobody will not pay you. Or, like, earning crazy low rates. So there wasn't even, like, this yeah. massive financial gain from, like, as I said, I was very much catwalk and, like, high-end editorial. So from that side of things, there wasn't really any money in it. It was more just experience. And but like, it's the same now. It's the same uh, in my very brief experience in, it was only about a year and a half or so in Los Angeles. It was very much, everyone's putting in a full day and all you get on the other side of it is pictures. Yeah. It happens you know. a lot, especially, yeah, as I said, in editorial and fashion work, where I am now in the industry, obviously with Wink. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. We do a lot of commercial stuff, and that's where brands have money and put into it, but yeah. it's amazing these fashion houses and magazines that get away with murder. Yeah. And because girls, I don't know, we they line up to do it. I was one of them. I lined up. Yeah. <laughs> And I jumped on the plane and I went over and I did it. And we've all, besides the, uh, you know, the the pressure f- for losing weight, it's also, you know, if you're a, you're a young woman, you're far from home, you are you are searching for stability, you're searching for uh, something that'll make you feel a little bit safe and in walks either the predatory photographer or, or stylist or something. Did you see any of that stuff going on? No, I was pretty lucky. I didn't see much of that. I also didn't see, like... 
a huge drug scene, which may have been just because I was naive and mm. um, a little bit oblivious to it all happening. But I didn't see either of those two aspects, which I thought I probably would see a bit more of. Yeah. Just crazy dieting and like, yeah, really thrown in the deep end <laughs> from people yelling and telling at you. And you're like, I don't even know what you're saying, but you seem really angry. <laughs> but I'm doing my best. <laughs> 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 just screaming at you in Italian. Yeah. Uh, uh, I did find uh, some photographs of you that I didn't want to ask you about. What actually goes on on those boats in Monaco? <laughs> I was a bit older then. That was, um, I was 21, I think, with that trip. That was just friends, actually. That was yeah. very harmless. And we, I was in Melbourne and had really good friends that I'd made overseas, sort of from traveling around, who work on the Grand Prix circuit as photographers. And they said, what are you doing for your 21st? And I was like, oh, I've got like just drinks with family on Sunday. And they're like, oh yeah, that's funny. Cause we booked you tickets to come to the Monaco Grand Prix, which happened to fall on my 21st, but like on the day. And it happened also to be the year Mark Webber won and they were good friends with Mark Webber. So we ended up celebrating together. And I was like, this is literally like the pinnacle of my life. But um, <laughs> it was pretty cool. But no, that was actually all a bit of fun and all sort of in jest. It was just us being silly. Okay. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm, yeah, because you see, certainly around, uh, it's either either Cannes or definitely in the Monaco Grand Prix. You see all these Instagram photos of girls on boats. I'm like, you know what? You're not showing. You're not showing <laughs> the guy that owns the boat. Yeah, most not- of the time I didn't even know them because we were with this friend and he or there was a group of them and they knew everyone. So we're like, sweet, we're just here for the ride. Right, and they were pretty lovely about it. So, at what point did you you were overseas for a little while? Yeah, yeah. I came back a little bit and went back. It would have been um, nice to have a brother over there as well, though. But at what point yeah. did you go, oh, I'm going back to Australia? Um, I came back when I was probably about, no, I can't remember how old I was. Must, must have been, I think it was just before Monaco. I was like 21 maybe I came back. Um, and unfortunately my brother had passed away, which oh. is why I came back. He'd been in a car accident. So came back, dealt with all of that. And then I guess it kind of put things in perspective for me. And I said, there's more to life than being alone in a model apartment watching girls swallow tampons. <laughs> I was like, I want a bit more out of life than like this really lonely existence. Like it seemed very superficial. And I was like, I kind of want a bit more of that. I had sort of grown out of it. So I went back to uni, finished uni and yeah, ended up you, here I am. you overseas when you got the news about your brother? Yeah, I was. I was in Paris at the time, um, modeling over there. And I remember I, mum had called me, it was the middle of the night. And I had answered her and I was like, yep, okay. Anyway, like I'm going back to sleep and hung up, went back to sleep. <laughs> then in the morning I was like, I had such a weird dream last night. And called mom. She's like, you weren't dreaming. You're on the next flight. You thought you dreamed it. Yeah, I thought it was a dream. I was just out of it. And then woke up and I was like, oh, that's strange. Got up, went about my day. I called mom. I was like, I had this strange dream. She was like, yeah, you weren't dreaming. That happened. So, yeah, came home. That must have been, yeah. That's one of those moments where you're like, wow, I'm really alone. Yeah, and I was, and I was, like, sort of, in, again, in this, like, strange apartment in the middle of Paris, and I was like, I've got these clients that don't give a shit about me. I've got this agent that doesn't even really know my name. She knows it starts with S, and I'm from Australia. <laughs> That's it. So I was like, I'm going to go home. And then, yeah, jumped on a plane, went back. I think I had probably about three months of doing nothing. And just hung out with mum and had a bit of downtime. And well, that's okay. I mean, that kind of yeah. that kind of blow to your your family energy takes while takes a while. Yeah, to deal with. Yeah, so it was, yeah, about three months. And then I went back to uni, picked up where I left and, off. And you mentioned that it, it gave you a an opportunity to have a look at what you were doing. What kind of things did you were you reassessing? It was. Just, I just. I guess I looked at life, and I was like, but you kind of think of things like one 
being in that situation and being so alone, I was like, I want family around. Obviously growing up, family was really important. And I was like, oh, now they're kind of not here and I'm living this weird life that doesn't seem real. And I want to be there and I want sort of more out of life than being this hungry girl on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> like so it kind of put things in perspective. And like, cause when you're in the modeling world, it felt like the be all and end all was like, I don't know, to get Gucci or to like do this thing. And then I was like, that stuff's not even important at the end of the day. Like what's important is yeah. Being around my friends and family and making a contribution to society and, and trying to do my little bit rather than just gallivant so around the world. What was the moment when you as a model went, oh, I'm done? Pretty much when I came back and I had that sort of life epiphany of yeah. there's more to life. Mm-hmm. And I did it a little bit like just because I'd always worked in Melbourne and I was like I might as well sort of. And it was money while you were It was money, exactly. Okay. I kind of knew the clients I worked for and it wasn't sort of anything strenuous. But then I guess I finished studying. I was like, look, I'm old for the industry, which seems yeah, crazy. Shit, if you're aging out at, at 24. 19. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 19, I was like, my age, I was like, I'm 24. Like, and I kind of felt like my goal had been to do the overseas thing. And I was like, and I've done it. Yeah. So if I'm going to keep doing it, it's kind of just for the sake of doing it. So I, I, uh, yeah, I dated switch. a model for a while. She was uh, 28 and she'd been all over the world. She had had quite a career and a, a successful career by the time she was at 24, 25, she was still booking all the time. But then mm. uh, I met her when she was 28 and like all she was getting was um, oh, what's the part where the the brand shows to the the department store, like when, the, when they're showing to the buyers. It's called showing, like a showing. That's Yeah, it. and you just stand there and you wear the clothes. That's yeah. all she could get. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like there was not, there was nothing else for her to get. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes like a very pointy end. I've got like one of my best friends still does it. One of the ones that just persisted. And now same thing. She still flies around the world and she shoots with brands like Nivea and Colgate. And she's, I guess you could say made it. Um, but she's one in yeah. 10 million. Yeah. Really? And she's worked so hard. This girl and, was beautiful. Yeah. She it, was stunning, yeah. <laughs> but there was just, and because she had dedicated her you know, years where she could have been studying or doing something else to this. Mm. By the time it was 28, it was like, well, yeah. this, is, this is all I'm good at. Yeah. This is all I've ever known. And it's all you know. Yeah. yeah. And it becomes a business. Like it becomes like, as I said, my one of my best friends who still does it, to her it's just like it's her small business. And she like strategically will go to countries at times of the year because she knows that's when her clients there shoot. And, mm-hmm. yeah, she just runs it like a business. It's not like a hobby for her. It's like this is what I do and I take it very seriously. And there's no like I don't just get to have days where I don't go for runs because I don't feel like it. She's like that's my job. Just like you have to get up and go to the office. I have to get up and go to the gym because I have to look a certain way. Yeah. So it took a couple of months to get to get the momentum back again, which is is fine. And, and yeah. you got back into university. Yep, went back to uni, finished my two degrees. How long did that take? I only had like I done like a little bit remotely. I only had about two years left. All right. For them both, yeah. And I like crammed and did summer school and just smashed them out. Were you happy that you went uh, and got to do that part of university when you were a little older? Yeah, definitely. I think even still looking back, especially on my law degree, I was really young mentally. Um, and at the time I remember thinking, who are all these crazy, like old students who have like come back and, and are doing law now? 
but when I finished, I was like, it makes total sense. Cause I was like, I've got no life context of what I learned. I learned sort of, I would just like, I was a very good sort of studier. So I was like, I know all the top principles and I know the cases that apply to them and all that stuff. But I was like, I don't have the life knowledge that probably would help my brain go, Oh, that means that that's why I care about taxation law. At the time I was like, I hate tax law. <laughs> this is so boring. Um, yeah. So I think sort of in hindsight, seems to now to be a degree that I would rather do later in life, but I've done it and it's something that I've got under my belt. So. And how did it, how did it feel putting in those huge hours studying, having had, you know, the time in a tiny room in Milan with hungry models under your belt, did it put it into context as to, you know, a little bit, it's not yeah. that hard compared to what I was doing. Yeah. A little bit, but at the same time I was like, Oh, but I have to be here for so long. I'm used to working for like an hour a day. <laughs> And that's it. And then they get to go like hang out with my mates in Milan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was very different, but I loved it. And I loved like the routine and I loved that everyone spoke English and I loved that I had like an income from whatever I was doing at the time. I think I was modeling locally and had a few other jobs. Uh-huh. And I was like, I just liked the stability of it. And Why, knowing- why law? Um, <laughs> because I got the grades and dad said I should use them. <laughs> I wanted to do event management at the time when I finished year 12 and I remember dad sat me down and mum as well, they both said the same thing. They said, look, you're bright. Don't waste that. Obviously, if you really don't want to do law or you don't want to do something that you can get into, like that's fine. But I liked legal studies at school. I had nothing against it. So I was like, okay, it seems like I'll do that. It was kind of the path I went. As I said, it was a very traditional girl's school. That's kind of, you did law, commerce or medicine. That was it. Yeah. Kind of all the teachers said that were the options. And I, like one girl I remember, she was like, no, I want to be a teacher. And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> You'll do law first. And then if you want to be a teacher, you can do that. Right. But they sort of made us aim for the stars, which I'm super grateful for now. Because- I, I guess a, a law degree now, it is certainly as the the world of our economy, our Australian economy at least, changes from what it was to what it's becoming, a law degree certainly seems far more flexible than what it used to be yeah, as far course. as building a business goes. Yeah, and it's life knowledge at the end of the day. I've just paid a lot of money to get some really good life knowledge. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Same with my commerce degree. I was like, yeah, cool, now I do my own tax. I said, <laughs> sweet, it was worth it, right? <laughs> so I justify it. <laughs> And now we export. I'm like, I, I kind of can work out all this export stuff because that's what I learned. But, um, yeah, I look at it as like it was just helpful life knowledge that I now use. And it comes into everyday life. There's always something, some little question. I'm like, oh, if I don't know it, like don't get me wrong, I still have a lawyer to do things for yeah. my businesses. But little points that come up in life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of know that you can do this or I kind of know you can't do that. Um, yeah, so useful life knowledge. When did you start with Wink? As soon as I finished uni. So I was 24 when I graduated and at the time hated law and commerce as careers. So I'd worked in a law firm um, for about a year. It's called a clerkship, which is like an internship. Soul-sucking. Soul-sucking. It was a very um, man's world, which is something I'd never had or been exposed to. So um, obviously. What what does that look like? So this is like a really classic example, which I tell people and it sounds horrible, but it's exactly true. So I started my clerkship at the same time as a um, a guy that was from my uni. We both worked the exact same amount of time, same hours. If anything, I probably did a bit better work than him, but um, very similar roles. Sort of six months in, he was having drinks with the partners, um, getting slaps on the back, everything else. And I was still Sarah after a year. And I was like, the name is Sage. Like, it's not Sarah. And they're like, whatever, Sarah, just go do this. Photocopy more. 
And I was like, but I'm doing the same work as him and my brain is just as big as his. No, I didn't at the time. I would sort of just go home and whinge and I was like, but I don't get it. And I was like, I must be doing something wrong. That's kind of what I convinced myself. And I was like, I like my work is obviously wrong or I don't know what I'm doing or like I'm messing something up because there's no other reason I would be treated differently to him. Um, And then, yeah, after talking to a few people, they're like, no, 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 that's just sometimes what it's like in a man's world. And I was like, but why is it not equal? Like I couldn't get my head around it. So, and then spoke to a few other girls doing similar things. And they said, yeah, we're all seeing the same thing. So I graduated and I was like, I don't think I'm mature enough to deal with that yet. I'm not sort of willing to sacrifice and work these crazy hours if it's never going to get me anywhere because I've got long hair and boobs, basically. I was like, I'm not up for that. So, um, yeah, looked at something that I loved at the time and that was modeling. And as I said, had these some pretty negative experiences with agencies. So I thought if I can do something to change experience of young girls, I'll see what I can do. And so what was it about Wink that made you want to go work there? So Wink was started by a lady called Taryn um, Williams, who started the agency as an ex-model and ex-producer, basically because she saw all these problems and she was like, I can do this better, which is how most businesses start, I think. And so she came and started Wink with the attitude of paying models, which was something, as I said before, that was really foreign, um, that you'd get paid for the work you did. So she paid her models within seven days. Wow. Um, yeah, which we still do to this day. She, like, respected models and we became names and not numbers, and it was more like as a person, what do you do and what do you like and what are you good at, um, which I really loved. And I sort of, yeah, just found myself gravitating to her and the way she did business. And she was only in Sydney at the time, so I said, why don't I open a Melbourne office for you? And she was like, sweet, go for it. And that was four years ago. Oh, and you just you pitched that to her? That's yeah, a- I just pitched it, exactly. And I was like, You created be- your own job or were you working there already? No, I created my own job. There was no Melbourne office. I was a model. So I said, I want to switch sides and I want to open a Melbourne office for you and I want to do it. And I think I know people in Melbourne. I've modeled here for about 10 years. Like I know the industry. Let me do it. She was like, okay, go for it. Wow. Yeah. That's extraordinary that you you saw an opportunity and you were able to create your own path out of that. I think it was just hugely naivety i was like this seems fun it's fine though it's <laughs> there was so- like no fear whatsoever and i was like what's the worst she says no exactly because if <laughs> so you I haven't like, asked yet it's still no yeah exactly so i was like i'm just gonna ask and she was like sure and i was like sweet this is like the best thing in the world but and that I- but, but again i mean it's happened so often when i do this show the amount of people that got their break by creating their break mm, yeah you don't and, and, and my my career as well like the the when you swim out to the ship, that's when you get the ride. You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're not coming to you on the shore. They don't oh. care. Yeah. They're full. They're happy sailing. Like, yeah. Yeah. So ah. totally created it. What challenges yeah. did you face when you? <laughs> so many. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, great. I'm glad you said yes. Cause now I don't know what to, where to start or what to do. Like yeah. I'd never really worked in any similar sort of business. Mum had um, pubs and, restaurants growing up. So I sort of, she'd been in hospitality and sort of small business, but that was it. Yeah. So I kind of just guessed and made up a lot as I went, Uh um, researched Google, became my best friend and still is my best friend. (laughs) And yeah, tried to figure it out. I went again, moved overseas. Um, I'd been doing it for about six months, very part-time. I think I did sort of like 10 hours a week and then moved overseas with my partner. We moved to England for about six, nine months and took it over there with me and would work 
sort of late at night, so it seemed like daytime. Trying in to run a Melbourne office from yeah, yeah. Wow. So I just and um, Taryn at the time she's like, oh, just leave it. That's fine. Come back to it. And I was like, no, I like I've started making something. I want to keep going. She's mm. like, okay, <laughs> be my guest. Um, so I took it with me and just worked at nighttime. And sometimes I'd sit up to sort of two a.m. and and do emails and. My clients just thought I liked working at night time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it was good. And then came back and it got more serious and I got an office and now we have a team and, yeah. So for, for young for young women who are in the modelling industry now, it almost seems like even more of that, the responsibility for marketing your own image, never used to have anything to do with you. It was all your agency. Yeah. Uh, it seems like that's it almost has to have already a massive snowball behind it before anyone will even look at you now. Yeah, yeah. It's Social media has put a whole different spin on it. And I would, oh, it's probably like half-half client-wise of clients that don't care about social media presence or anything like that and they still just want a face if it's their brief. Um, but there's definitely the other side and the other half that they want a personality and they want a face behind their brand. And that personality might not typically be what they've booked in the past. Like it might not be the six foot tall, gorgeous Glamazon. It might be a bit smaller or um, a size 10 rather than a size eight, but she's got this social presence. So that's what they're going for. So it's they're definitely having to capitalize changed. on that 300,000, 400,000. Exactly. Yeah. They become sort of little walking advertisements of their own and the reach that they've got is huge. And it's these days it's the same as some print circulations. It can be someone's Instagram. It's the same as a magazine reach. So, And it's a lot cheaper and it's a lot easier for them. So, Right. So it's the economics that, that drive it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like this added bonus, really, if you can get, like I said, if you can get extra exposure for the cost that you'd be paying your model anyway. A lot of them are like, well, why wouldn't I? If it's someone that aligns with my brand, yeah. why wouldn't I go down that avenue? So... I'd imagine then you will meet at the same time you'll meet plenty of young girls and some guys who are just doe-eyed in the headlights and then you'll meet some 17-year-old girl who has her SEO down. She's got everything totally <laughs> ripped. She she has her photographer. They shoot twice a week. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Yeah. And it, I guess it's still – it's kind of the same though as sort of back 10 years ago. There was girls who were still shooting twice a week that were like, oh, I've um, – I'd like actively gone to this event and I like sought out the marketing manager for David Jones and I met them and I introduced myself. And so now can you follow up with an email and can you like tell her that you represent me? And then they would book David Jones as a result. Um, it's still, it's same concept. It's just sort of different things that are happening, but it's people who work hard and, and put it in, put in the hard work that are going to see results. And as like, no matter how beautiful you are, if you stand there and you're like, what do I do? And you're like, oh, I don't really want to do anything extra unless I like get paid for it. I don't really want to like shoot if there's no money. They just get nowhere. Right. Mm. So well, they'll get like a little bit, but they'll never like get to an international stage or they'll never work with their dream clients most of the time because that takes work. Because it's all, it all looks very glamorous. It all looks that <laughs> I'm going to get on Instagram and then... Everything will be all right. Especially now because it can, Instagram's a funny one and it's one that I've sort of we're all speaking about at the moment. It's now so easy to manipulate as well and I think we saw What do you mean manipulate? In terms of buying followers and buying audiences and buying engagement, you can buy all of it now. So it's not necessarily organic and it's not necessarily what it was, I think, when it first launched. And we saw um, an agency in the States – did a, like an influencer agency did a test and started two accounts um, and just faked it all, bought everything, um, bought all the engagement, bought all the likes as just like these tests basically. And I think it was within two months each of the accounts had made over $10,000. 
in paid stuff and they're like, we, these are literally dummy accounts that we did just to prove how easy it is to fake your social media presence. Oh, so man. it's like now it's becoming this crazy minefield that you have to navigate of what's organic, who's organic, who's really an influencer and who yeah. has influence over um, certain demographics of people and who is just bots and, um, yeah, Indians who aren't even looking at their Instagrams. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that. Yeah, and we've all seen the photos of the, you know, these kind of industrial estates in, in China and India where they've, there's like a thousand Samsung phones on racks and someone just walking past each one going like, 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 yeah. like, 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 someone actually pushing the button. Yeah. Yeah. Far out. There. So, yeah, it's getting pretty complicated now. And there's all kinds of apps now you can get to show when people's engagement increase and you can see sort of this massive jump, but there's also bots that you can get that will buy followers, 10 followers a day for 100 days. So there's no jump and there's no spike, so it's not obvious to a regular brand or a regular consumer. Wow. So what do you tell, what do you tell, you know, let's just start with this. Let's say let's you 10 years ago shows up to your office mm-hmm. with your mum. <laughs> uh, what do you say to 17-year-old Sage if she shows up at Wink and goes, this is it, here's my three headshots, they look great, I've got some potential, I want to do this. What do you say to her? Yeah, social media is a big one. So get a social media presence and make that presence what you want to be portrayed as. It doesn't have to be your real life by any means, because a lot of it isn't. But if you want to be a health and fitness influencer, post you working out, post you eating well, um, obviously stuff that you're doing anyway, but don't post you on the couch with a bag of chips on a Friday night. Um, Focus on the element of your life that you want to portray Um, and do that organically and definitely don't buy anything or pay for anything because I'm sure there will come a day when it gets found out. Buy anything or pay for anything as in In, followers? Yeah, as in terms of followers and engagement, do, do it organically um, there's enough of us in the world that people, if they like what you're doing, that they will follow and they will care. Um, and there's tactics that you can use. You can hashtagging and, and geolocation tagging and all that kind of stuff that you can do to reach your, like where your photo goes. Um, but do that. And also, yeah, take responsibility for your own brand. As you said, back in the day, it was a lot, a lot more was up to the agents also most people think, but it still came down a lot to the individual and how much you were wanting to push your own brand. Um, and how hard you are willing to work. So, what do you tell them about hard work? It, yeah, nothing in life comes easy, and nothing in life comes free. And you might be gorgeous, and you might be the right size and the right height, but unless you work for it, you're not going to get anywhere. And what and, is what would you tell them about? This is what your day is going to feel like. This is what your week's going to be. Um, it, that it will vary, and there's no consistency. So, get comfortable with being uncomfortable um, is a big one, and find a support network around you that's really going to help you if because there's a lot of rejection and it's something that's always been in the industry and always will be. It's heaps of rejection and it's superficial rejection and it's based on your hair colour or your eye colour um, or anything. One day in London, literally within the space of two hours, I was told I was too tall, too short, too fat and too skinny by four different clients and I just called mum in tears and I was like, I don't know what I am. I was like, do I grow? Do I shrink? Do I eat more? Do I eat less? I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, just be you. Don't listen to them. Like they just want different things. So, um I would tell them that, that it's not you learn to deal with rejection and not take it personally as much as it can seem really personal at times for every 10, every 10 no's, you'll get a yes, but you've got to learn how to deal with those 10 no's and not get down on yourself and not listen to them and take it on board. Like if someone doesn't like a brunette, don't dye your hair blonde the next day. Cause then you get a client that doesn't like blonde. So, um, try and be as confident in who you are and be really sure of who you are before 
I I think there's a great there's a great analog there, great parallel there from not even anyone in modeling, like anyone who's pitching themselves as like this is I'm asking to be paid for who I am, be it an actor, be it in some cases an entrepreneur, certainly in my industry. That's definitely you know a really great thing to hear. For every ten no's, you'll hear a yes, Mm. and be you know the, the yes will hopefully make you 10 times yeah, as much money exactly. so it all balances out. <laughs> and be but, the yes that you want, not yeah. some little buy like, yeah. Yeah, but I you're going to have to deal with the nose. What would you say to that 17-year-old who's seen and has, you know, and I look at George's, uh, I look at who she follows on YouTube and who she follows on Instagram and they're like, they're 19 years old, they're going to red carpets, they're going to openings, they're, you know, holding, they're doing photos where they're holding gift bags that are worth 2000 bucks for like hampers full of stuff. And they're like, and, and they think like that's around the corner. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? That's not reality. <laughs> um, and yes, they might be getting all that stuff and doing that stuff. They've worked really hard to get there. No one has got there by luck or by chance. It's because they've put themselves on the line or they've put in the hours. Um, and it's definitely not reality. There's a lot that happens behind closed doors and that isn't posted and isn't shared. That's the real stuff. And, um, it happens to everyone. No one's invincible. No one's perfect. No one has this perfect life. And I see it. I obviously deal with glamorous models and influencers all day, every day, and they have heartache. They have breakups. They have ugly days. Um, they have stuff happening in their lives that isn't nice and great and is really sort of deep and can be hard for them, but you just don't see it on their Instagram feed. So you mentioned before the, the, the example of the young woman in the old days going to a, an event, finding the person from David Jones and then hustle. Like, what would you say to the 17 year old girl who shows up to your office about hustling up their own work? Um, fine. So we say a lot, like be realistic for starters. Don't be like, great. Next week I'm going to be like, um, in the Versace runway in Paris, be realistic, but pick brands that you think you work really well for um, and try social media is so easy these days to reach out to them and say like, for example, if it's a young girl and she's like, I love um, JJ's. I just think they're great. They're really on brand for sort of who I am. Great. Reach out to them, like their photos, engage with them as a brand. It's so easy now to do that. You don't have to go to the events. You don't have to have the invites. You can just jump on their Instagram page, engage with them, um, like them. As I said, make your social media profile relevant to what they would be looking for. So if it is some, a brand like that, make your photos look like that as much as you can. Um, message them and be like, hey, I would love to learn more about how I can cast for your shoots or social media work or how I can get involved because I'd really love to. And um, there are sort of ways that they can at least kind of try and get in people's minds and let people see them. So now the other part of my hypothetical, what do you say to the mom of the girl who's sitting in the office about her daughter that's all she wants to do is be a model? So to you. But- no, like that, well, <laughs> Or to me. (laughs) (laughs) The pushy dad. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Support them and be that rock because I had that rock and it's really important to have someone in your life that sort of helps support and helps encourage in a really nice way. Um, It's not all bad, so let them do it if they really want to do it because we also get – I've spoken to so many parents that are like, oh, she really wants to model and she's gorgeous, but I just don't want her in that industry. It's not all bad. There are really good agents out there and there are, there's obviously an industry out there and people can make it and be successful without being damaging to someone's confidence or without being damaging to someone's body. Um, so trust in the industry, be really careful with agents. As I said, there's good ones and there's bad ones. Do your research. Um, what's the difference between a good one and a bad one? Um, a good one will support and nourish and care and a bad one will just try and take a check at the end of the day. And I think it's from what I hear these days, I obviously don't apply to all other agencies, but I think there's still 
quite an easy difference if you sort of, if they're asking for crazy upfront fees um, of thousands of dollars, if there's no website or it's like under construction or it looks super dodgy, if there's like no social media or the social media looks like they're just photos from Google, um, right. you can kind of get it, get an idea of whether oh, the old, oh, we'd love, look, we're looking for models. It'll cost you five grand for your first shoot, but we yeah. don't take anyone that doesn't use our photographer. Exactly. Oh, what yeah. bollocks. Yeah. Reputable agencies won't do that. Yeah. They won't make you do that. And like, it's totally fine as well to say, what kind of brands do you work with and what kind of work do you get? I think it's a totally fine question to ask an agency. And then you can sort of say, yes, that's something I want my child doing, or it's not quite right yet. Maybe she should be a bit older to do that kind of stuff. Okay. So when they do get that bit older, when they do get that break, what do you tell both of them about the first big overseas trip? Um... We don't do a lot of overseas no? work at Wink, so I don't have to have the conversation much. But if it was back with me, I don't know how I'd prepare someone for that. <laughs> Trust the universe. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And I would probably say to a parent away from the child, like, make sure they're ready. And I yeah. think a parent would know when it's the same with it, like a high school exchange, I guess. You'd know if your child's ready um, to jump on a plane on their own to yeah. a country where they don't speak the same language. Like, have they got street smarts? Are they going to be able to hold themselves if they get lost or are they going to freak out? Um, do they know where to go to get help and, and things like that? And you kind of knew that, you know, you had that thing at school about, you know, law was a thing that you wanted to do and you got yourself into uni. What do you say to the, the men and women that women and men that work with you and for you about, okay, but what are you going to do next? Because this is an industry you're going to age out of. Always, yeah, do something on the side if you can. As I said, and as we sort of said before, it's one in a million that make it and are lucky to still be working at my age um, and have a backup plan. So many girls I knew that I modelled with dropped out of school at sort of year 10, year 11 because um, they're like, oh, but I'm working all the time now. And now they're not. And now they're working in restaurants or cafes and they're 28 and they've got nothing. And they're like, oh, crap, now I don't look as good as I used to and I'm not getting booked as much and I'm not getting flown around the world anymore. Um and they had no backup plan. So have a backup plan, even if it is part-time uni for 10 years, do something um, that interests you. And I think that goes across a f- like a few industries as well. My partner's um, ex-sportsman and who was a professional cricketer for 10 years and same thing came out of the system and was like, what now? And struggled to get a job and businesses wouldn't look at him because they're like, but you've got no work history. And he's like, even yeah, I was playing sport for 10 years. Like <laughs> that's what I did. And they said, yeah, but we – we're going to take the guy that just did his MBA. We're not going to take you. So he found it really hard as well to enter the workforce. So I think it's a similar industry in that sense. And um, guys that he played with that had things on the side have now finished and gone straight into careers. And that, But there's a handful, and I'm sure it's across any sport, that finished and are like, well, what now? What do I do? Um, so it's exactly the same with modelling. Have something on the side. Find something that you don't hate, even if you're not super passionate about it. Try and do it, um, even if it is something generic like an arts degree part-time or something like that try and have something going or these days it's i feel like it's quite easy but there's no barriers to entry on starting a small business do that um design two t-shirts and sell them online or do something that's going to sort of give you those life skills as well that you can then use when you finish so that when when you're done you're able to turn around and say well i've built this yeah along the way yeah right and i did this and i think it's also something that so many businesses look favorably at is I juggled the two mm. and yes, that was all good and well. And I was modeling and it was fabulous, but I also did this other thing on the side. And I think 
every business looks at that favorably and goes, well, not only can you multitask, but you've also got common sense and, and yeah. you can sort of see the bigger picture of things. Now, so much more as a, as a model or someone who is in a similar realm, you are your brand from the moment you start. It's yeah. not like it used to be where that became blah, 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 Christy Turlington, which was 10 years down the track. It's from the moment, even before you start, Yeah, you are your brand. And so brand management and, you know, being sure you're not photographed with the wrong thing and, you know, yeah. in the wrong place, in the wrong cubicle, you know, whatever. Yeah, you yeah. Know. You're posting photos on Sunday night, smoking and drinking, and then you're turning up to work on Monday yeah. for a big client. They're not happy. No. They're like, no, I can see your Instagram and I'm not interested in that. I'm not paying you this much money to yeah. to do that. Um, and so many brands expect you to be more than a pretty face these days. What do you mean? You've, they expect, as we touched on before, a social media element or um, to bring something more than just being a pretty face because it's such a competitive industry, Yeah. whether it be that business savviness or sort of this other element of, oh, yeah, cool, I'm doing this shoot and I also know this PR agent who might be really awesome to help get this mm. out or um, I've got this awesome social media following, I'm going to post about it or mm. um, whether it's something like that, bringing sort of a certain savviness to set as well. Have we seen the end of the stereotype of the dumb model? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think it's just humans. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so many people just look at modeling as the easy fallback if they've got nothing else. So I think that's or pretty people, pretty people. And I think that's probably why it gets generalized that way. Cause it's like, oh, I'm pretty, I don't have to do anything else. Um, so they don't necessarily oh, have you, the advice or wisdom that say, what you do. So until you're 30. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, some... even 20, no <laughs> one wants a dumb model. Not, not even an agent. I don't want a model who can't figure out an address and a time to get somewhere. Really? Absolutely not. I've got no time for that. When I've got girls that, and boys that, um, are working so hard and doing everything. They're, they're an hour early. They were the day before to make sure they know where it is and to get lost in can park. I don't want to be called from someone who's like, oh, I'm half an hour late. I don't know where I am. So, yeah. That's it? That's the last time you call them? Yeah, that's the last time. And I'm like, that's it. Cut. It's cut really? the industry. Yeah. Wow. Maybe, it depends how late. Like five, ten minutes I get. Traffic's bad. <laughs> it happens to everyone. <laughs> Things happen. But, yeah, if it's just that general just no, like, regard for being savvy and being a business person. Yeah. Because that's what it is. You're your own business at the end of the day. Professionalism doesn't cost anything. It's, exactly. But it's worth so much. Yeah. It's, you're not just getting paid for the 125th of the second that the photo's taken. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're being paid for more. But for some reason, it's an industry where people think that you don't need to be professional. And that so many people think being pretty is enough. It's definitely not. Oh, like man. it's not even close. You can't turn up on a set with eight people waiting for you. Oh, you'd be surprised how many times it happens. So many divas <laughs> still. It's a band of my existence. But we get we get a few good ones. We try and weed them out <laughs> and we get the good ones. <laughs> we do our best to filter through. So um, I know I know it's been a while since you've been in front of the lens, but a yeah. part of uh, this podcast is I, I like to take people's photo. Okay. Is that going to be okay? That's okay. Yeah. You, have you still got it? No, but I'll try. <laughs> tried a little pat for you. No, no, no. I don't know. It's, it's all right. It's on a Polaroid, so it'll be okay. Okay. All right, cool. Thanks for that. Thanks for coming around. No worries at all. Thanks for having that me. That was fun. That was Sage Greenwood. You can find out more about her business. Wink Models is what they are on Instagram. That's where you can find her there. Uh, thank you again for everyone that supports the show. Patreon.com slash Osher, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Osher. And thanks heaps for everyone that got in touch this week. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Um, I'll see you at OzPod. 
if that's the case, come and say good day. I wish there was a secret word to say, but the problem, just come and say good day. Heard the show. If not, I'll talk to you next week. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.